Welcome to the Entrepreneur Cast, your source for tactical lessons and entrepreneurship from a cast of entrepreneurs. I'm Jason Demers. And I'm Sam McRoberts. And today we're going to talk about how to identify and hedge against business risks. Oh yeah. This is this is going to be a fascinating one. So story time. Story time right. from Sam. Well, let me get my uh let me get my marshmallows here and All right. get my campfire. All right, go for it. Reading Rainbow. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So as a kid, probably around the age of, I want to say 11, maybe 12, I started getting into the whole world of hacking and phone freaking. So like I, I built my own blue box. I figured out how to get into my compu- my school's uh, computer systems, how to bypass Fortress and get into the backend grading stuff. Like I was David Lightman from War Games. Like I was that kid. So I was I was fascinated by that. I had a subscription to twenty six hundred, the whole the whole shebang through most of my teen years, and I'm still I'm still fascinated by it. But one of the biggest things I took away from my time playing around in the infosec space is this concept of risk assessment and looking for weak points, looking for ways ways in loopholes, hacks. And, and also thinking about it from my own perspective, personal perspective, business perspective, like what are my weaknesses? Where can people get at me? And so I thought it'd be good to have an episode about this. As a, as a business owner, your business is going to face threats and you are only going to be able to handle those if you've thought about them in advance and taken steps to prevent them. So without further ado, I think we should dive in and, and explore what that means and how to go about it. All right. So let's talk about a SWOT analysis, Uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. If you took any sort of marketing classes or training, you're familiar with that. And so the T in SWOT analysis stands for threats. And this is really the heart of risk assessment. But the thing is, most people, when they do their SWOT analysis, don't go deep enough. It's not enough to just identify who your competitors are and simple risks. You really need to dig deep and think like the enemy. So it's as the saying goes, know thyself and know thy enemy. Yes, dude, I, I love this. Most people, when they're thinking of the threats, they're like, all right, well, who's my, who's my competitors? Or, you know, like, what are, the, what are the things that are most likely to go wrong with the business? That's just too superficial. It's not sufficient. You need to look at what are known as attack vectors. So what are all of the entry points and weak points of your business? Where are the single points of failure? Where are the places that an enemy could get at you? And really, these break down into two components, which are physical and digital. So for example, let's say you run a physical business. The locks on your front door are going to be one of your attack vectors. The utilities to your business could be an attack vector. Each of your employees could be a potential attack vector. Customers, fake customers, like there are, there are a lot of ways to physically get at and cause problems for your business. Vandalism, graffiti, natural disasters, riots, illnesses. I mean, there's a lot of things that pose potential risks for your business. And so there's ways, of course, that you can mitigate those physical risks. You can have insurance, you can carefully vet employees, you could have security clearances, you could have better caliber of security, cameras, locks, biometrics. Like there are steps you can take to protect your physical. 
And then you have digital. You've got your computer systems. You have your your servers. You have websites. You have public profiles, social profiles. Like you, so so you have these two physical and and digital components. And you need to make sure that you are thinking through how people could cause you problems with those, and take steps to prevent those. So, let's talk about the physical first a little more, and then we'll talk a little more about the digital. Cool. All right. Social engineering. This is a word that everybody should know. Social engineering is using physical and speech characteristics to slide in somewhere where you're not supposed to be. So if you've ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can, have you seen that, Jason? I With don't Leonardo, think so. Is Leonardo is DiCaprio, Tom Hanks? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard of it. I've heard the title, but I don't honestly, like if you were to say like, what's that movie about? I couldn't tell you. I don't know. Okay. So, so the movie Catch Me If You Can was about a guy named Frank Abagnale. And Frank Abagnale was one of the most famous uh, social engineers, check forgers, fraudsters of you know the mid-1900s. And he pulled off some crazy shit. I, I, I recommend seeing the movie, but I've actually heard Frank speak in real life, met the guy. And his story, his story is fascinating. So after all of his antics of Catch Me If You Can and a little bit of time in prison, he ended up working for the FBI. Still does, as far as I know, as a consultant on fraud, check fraud, uh, counterfeiting, all of that, all of that stuff. But Frank's Frank's trick was social engineering. He would go in and he would figure out how a system worked physically. What what uniforms did people wear? What did their checks look like? What did their pay stubs look like? What were their procedures? What was the language? How did they how did they operate in this environment? And then he would he put on the, you know, act the part. So like in the movie, you can see him getting a pilot's uniform, figuring out how to use different things to make up a check that looks like it was from an airline, like all this stuff, right? That's social engineering. You're using a skill set to get in somewhere you're not supposed to be by pretending that you belong to be there. And I would say on the physical side, this is probably going to be your big biggest point of risk is people trying to get where they don't belong. And to counteract that, you need to have physical security rules. Depending on, I mean, it depends a lot on your a lot on your business. But if you deal with anything where somebody having access to your company's physical property could be a risk, like that's a that's a danger. If somebody breaks in and gets into your computer system and steals all your customers' uh, payment data, like from your physical servers, and then leaks it, like that's a problem. And you can protect from the physical side by having certain things in place to prevent it. But you need to you have to like think this way. You have to think like somebody who's out to do you some harm. Figure out the ways in which you are most likely to be harmed and take steps to prevent that. And I feel like a lot of people and companies they just never do this. They, they assume everything's honky dory and they take no steps. And they're very surprised when shit goes sideways. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like the social engineering. There was a there was a, a scam that was going around, uh, and I can't remember what it was. Maybe you can remember, but where they were essentially using. So it had to do with with um, people were calling like bank accounts, and they were the talking time. to the representatives and saying, "Hey, I've lost my password." Um, so and so, and the bank reps would, you know, they yeah. would they would convince the bank reps that they were who they said they were, even though they were not. And through social engineering, they were able to get access to bank accounts without passwords, without security questions, without anything else, just by socially engineering the representative. And you have to remember, customer service representatives are often low paid individuals who, who have low training. And 
they are susceptible as anyone else is to social engineering. And there was this fraud scheme that was going around recently where they were doing exactly that. I just wish I could remember what the, some of the details of it, but do you remember, There's, did you see anything about that? I mean, I've, I've heard of tons over the years, but like, that's, that's a common, a common thing. There was a movie in, I want to say the nineties, maybe in the late eighties, probably the nineties called sneakers with Robert Redford. And it was about this group of essentially hackers, pen testers, you know, they'd be, they were originally criminals <laughs> doing stuff they shouldn't have done and ended up making a business out of it helping people to solve problems. Anyway, a bunch of stuff ended up going sideways. But at one point in the movie, they used social engineering. A chick on the team posed as someone looking for a date and went on a date with a guy who was a target at the company they were trying to break into. And over the course of the date, carefully captured information from him that would help them get in and bypass biometrics. But like this, this happens, you know, especially if you have a larger company, if they're, you know, Company uh, espionage, trying to steal secrets from companies, this is huge. It happens all the time. And most of the bigger companies have security departments that are all over this stuff. But if you're dealing with anything anything sensitive, anything, any sort of new cutting-edge technology, research, a startup that's potentially a game-changer that could wipe out another big incumbent business somebody's probably trying to get to your info. And so you need to make sure that you have things in place to protect your business on the physical side and the digital side from potential threats. So Another the, person that I've, go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah, I was going to say on the physical side, can you, uh, you know, other than having strict protocols and, you know, employee training that sort of warns them about these various different types of fraud schemes, can you think of any other, you know, what should a listener do who's listening and says, okay, well, what should I be doing to protect against some sort of physical attack vector on my business? Can you think of anything else? Yeah. I mean, protecting protecting your physical business premises. So making sure that you use really high quality locks. Your, your standard, so take your standard lock. Most locks are a basic pin cylinder or cylinder pin tumbler lock, right? Anybody who's half decent at lock picking, myself included, can get through one of those in a few seconds. Like they're a joke. That's not that's not security. So if you're dealing with stuff that's secure or needs to be kept secure, get a decent lock. Get something like a Medico lock, or I, I don't know what the latest. I know there there's some very very advanced locks available now, but your typical lock is locking basically by dropping a pin top down into a slot and you when a key goes in it's lifting each individual pin to the right level so the cylinder will turn freely but there's locks now that use a combination of magnets and pins coming in from different angles that much much harder to pick without being detected and that's really your goal right keep the door secure in such a way that it can't be bypassed without leaving evidence the next step is cameras making sure that you have a security recording system to watch key areas, having policies about preventing people from like piggybacking. You know, if somebody goes through the door, make sure you're not holding the door for the person behind you that they have to get in with their own key or their own access card. Yeah. Just uh, having, having systems in place to physically protect your space. I mean, some places that deal with higher security stuff, all of the computers are locked into cages, so you can't get physical access to the actual computer. Some of them have no USB ports, no no Bluetooth enabled. Sometimes the computers themselves are like locked up in a room at each night. There's there's a lot of steps you can take depending on the level of security you need and your amount of risk. But interesting. So it sounds like, you know, good locks um, good security, uh, security surveillance system, 
Um, physical security guards on the premise, steps to protect sensitive hardware. I mean, it, yeah, I, the sky's the limit. It just it depends, and this is why this is why this is risk assessment. Each individual business is going to have to figure out the nature of their risks and the way that you would go about doing this. Which yeah. brings us to you know the other piece of this, which is digital. So digital so, would be things like. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me would be like negative SEO. Uh, yep. This is something that you and I have experimented with. Granted, it was years ago. We're not we're not evil people. <laughs> still works, <laughs> but it still works. And um, negative SEO, if you're wondering what that is, is the, the the practice of intentionally doing something onto someone else's website that causes it to to its rankings to drop in Google. Yeah, and, so Google, I mean, Google has rules. They have rules that if you break, they will penalize you. Essentially, hey, if you do any of this set of things, we will take away your rankings and traffic. So that's that's a that's a risk. That's an attack yeah, factor. So one of those things, for instance, is building like way too many really crappy spammy links that that link, you know, from like porn sites and malware sites to <laughs> to your website. If Google sees a bunch of those over a sustained amount of time, they might think that the owner of that website is actually trying to engage in manipulative link building, which is not okay from they're, Google's they're perspective. Pre- yeah, they're pretty good at filtering out stuff that looks overtly shitty now. In order, But negative SEO still works. You just have to make it look like something that that business would be doing themselves. So like so, hey, not not too crappy, but pretty crappy? <laughs> is that kind well, of like a balance? It's not the it's not the crappiness. So you can you can go in, you could maybe use just a little too much exact match anchor text. You could maybe get those links from known PBN sites that are, you know, maybe maybe they do work for a while, but they pose a risk. And you do a pattern. You make sure that you are building consistently a certain amount of links each month, month after month, focused on keywords the company's obviously trying to rank for, targeting the right pages, you know, doing the stuff that an SEO would do, but pushing it into the black and doing it consistently over time. Because from Google's perspective, they then have no way to know if the company did this or if somebody else did this. And so you're at risk. And if you were to take it one step further and report that company as, hey, man, my competitor is doing this really shitty stuff. Why aren't you taking action? <laughs> it can it can tip it into the tip it into the black. So it, it does, it does still work. And that's absolutely like a very critical attack vector if you have a website. But it's one of it's one of many. Yeah, I mean, another one would be review bombing. This is really common when you know you see on Yelp or or various other types of um, of review websites. If if somebody gets pissed off at a business and gets all their friends and and followers to you know go leave a, a one star review or something, that yeah. can really significantly impact a business. And oftentimes, Yelp won't do shit about it. And I say Yelp, I'm just using them as like an example. There, there are pl- other places where you can get reviews, and I know that. But I'm using Zelp, Yelp as our example here. But if that Dude, happens, Yelp, there's really nothing you can do about it, and it sucks. It could be your books on Amazon. It could be your products on Amazon. It could be your products on your own page, your products in uh, the Google Shopping. Like, like, There's so many places. And often, it's just competitors. Somebody comes along. I've, I've seen this frequently with like local businesses where competitors will go and negative review bomb their other competitors to try and outrank them in the local results. Dude, it's ruthless, man. Business, business owners can be pretty fucking ruthless, especially when they're in a, a, what is essentially a zero-sum space. Yeah. 
Yeah. When it comes to review, to protecting against review bombs, I just try to always be as nice as I can to everybody, all my customers when I'm dealing with them over customer service, because, you know, I just, I want to, I don't want to piss anyone off. I don't know who they are, how many followers they have, how many friends they have and how vicious they are. And so I just make it a point to always be really warm and friendly to everybody and seems to work. That's my way of protecting against that particular vector. So another thing to watch out for or that you could do to counteract it would just be to watch for sustained attacks. Like if you see a series of negative reviews come in on a certain day or over a short period of time with similar language or similar structure in the name of the person leaving the review, right? Those are things that you can report. And if you report that stuff into these platforms as a pattern of abuse, like yeah, they will they will maybe take take action. But in some cases, there's nothing you can do. I mean, I've seen people get negative review review bombed so hard that they've either had to shut down that business or change the name or change the location. It, it can be it can be very detrimental. Yeah, another one that really sucks is a DDoS attack, and that's a direct denial of service attack. And my understanding of this is essentially this is where a website or a server just gets overloaded by many many concurrent requests to that server by a malicious party. And it causes the server to essentially just go into shutdown mode. Like it can't handle it and it can't serve any of the requests for anybody, even legitimate people. This can take down websites, servers, you know, entire, entire businesses for at a time. There are some, there's some tools you can use to help mitigate this. So like Cloudflare, if you use Cloudflare as your DNS provider for your website, they can help to mitigate many, if not most denial of service attacks. You can also get that, I think through like security, security. S-U-C-U-R-I, uh, and some other some other tools. But these can be very problematic. And in some cases, these DDoS attacks are run in such a way that it's then tied to extortion. Like, hey, we'll stop the attack if you pay however much in Bitcoin to this address. Like it can be really, it can be really shitty. So I would definitely say if your website is a key part of your business, make sure you have some sort of technology in place to help prevent or mitigate. A DDoS. And then yeah. I would say the next would be just general harassment of your your employees and your business. I mean, it could be somebody who constantly calls in your customer service lines and bitches and stresses out the people on the other end to get them to quit. It could be somebody who constantly harasses your employees in other ways. It could be somebody... I've seen people pay groups of people to go protest in front of a business just to make that business look bad and decrease foot traffic in it. Sometimes by other other local businesses paying them to do it, sometimes with people who are just pissed. But dude, I mean, you you really you really do need to think of all of the ways in which somebody could hurt your business and at least have a plan for if it happens. God, what a dick move. <laughs> dude, dude, people like it, it can be it can be ruthless. Now, and this brings us to something I'm really excited to talk about, which is the concept of red teaming. So in military war games, there's the idea of the red team and the blue team. Blue team, good guys. These are whatever, the the military will break their groups out into two pieces. You're the good guys. You're representing the US military. You're going to run with our standard tactics for this scenario. Red team, you are playing as the bad guys. You are going to try and find a way around our standard tactics for this scenario so that you can show us where our holes and our weaknesses are. Now this, is, now, this is applied outside of the military in corporate security via what's called pen testing, so penetration testing. And this can be physical or digital, often both. 
And basically, you hire a group of people to come in and test your company physically and digitally for attack vectors. Where are you weak? Where where can people get in? Like, if somebody's trying to hurt you, are there things you haven't thought of? And sometimes it can be really hard as a business to think of these. You need to bring in like some pretty sneaky ass malevolent people who know who know what's possible to come in and do stuff like this. I know Kevin Mitnick, the the hacker. He, Kevin Mitnick was a very famous hacker. He was the FBI's most wanted at one point. There were, you know, 2600 magazine and a few others raised, uh, tried to raise money to help him and help his defense. There were stickers you could buy, free Kevin. The dude was famous for his social engineering, hacking, phone freaking, like really cool. I would recommend reading, reading up on him if you never have. But he runs a business doing this now. And then there's another, there's another white hat hacker that I'm familiar with, Sammy Kamkar who I think he's been on Tim Ferriss's podcast as well. Dude's brilliant. And you look at some of the stuff he comes up with, it's fascinating. And then a third I'm familiar with is a guy named Pablos Holman, who actually worked or works for Intellectual Venture Partners in Seattle, which is a fascinating, fascinating company run by an ex-Microsoft guy, Nathan Mirvold, who has, they have their fingers in all kinds of stuff. So really interesting company. But there are there are people and companies who will do professional pen testing, professional red teaming to help you figure out like what are your what are your weak points? And they're expensive. So I would say if you can't do that, at the very least, you should try and put together your own internal red team at your company. Find the the smartest people in your company, people who have you know who are who are curious, who are maybe a little bit of troublemakers, or you know always thinking outside the box or poking at things. Get a few of those people together and task them with something like this. They will love it most likely, and you'll find some really fascinating stuff. So now, didn't Facebook and I, they might still do this, but didn't they used to hold hacker parties where they would say, "Hey, come try to hack our shit." Yeah, this? and I think their I think their hacker parties were something. I don't know if they held where they brought in like outside security people to break their shit. Maybe I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, a lot of companies have uh, bounties that they pay for people who discover exploits and zero days and you know things things that are weak points in their their code or their platforms. So probably, but yeah, and it, it's a good idea. A long time ago, so I remember I remember in the nineties. I want to say mid to late nineties, like at my, at my prime in the hacking world of at a ripe old age of maybe 16 or 17 there was a site <laughs> in your prime site. Oh fuck. What was the site called? It was something, something hippo, something to do with hippos, purple hippo, something hippo. But essentially it was a, it was a website that was set up and run and paid for by a group of hackers, or maybe it was one person, but it was a game of capture the flag. And anybody could come in and try and take over the site and become the super user and then try and keep everybody else out. And it was a running game of get in, own the site, be king of the hill until somebody else found a way in and ousted you and took over. Really cool. That sounds awesome. Setting up something like that for your business is probably a good idea. Yeah, I think that just, by the way, just preventing some of this stuff comes down. There's some simple things you can do, like two-factor authentication. Or in WordPress, there's a there's a plugin called uh, Limit Login Attempts, which is a good yes. one. That yeah, if somebody tries and fails to log into your WordPress website, I think you know two or three times, it locks their IP for a certain yeah, amount re- of time. 
I wrote a, po- uh, a blog post on Moz years ago on WordPress security. It's probably still extremely relevant. If you run a WordPress site, go go to Moz and search that post on WordPress security. Like It's the most in-depth post on that topic I've ever yeah. seen. I've read that post and uh, there's some really, really good uh, advice in there. And I think yeah, I think you did recommend that plugin, the limit login attempts in that post, yeah. if I recall. I think that's where that I got was- it from. That was one of many. You can also, I mean, you can do really cool stuff. You can use your HT access file to only allow access to your login page from certain predefined IP addresses. So you could have a dedicated IP VPN that each of your employees is required to use. And only once that VPN is active and they're on that IP, are they able to get through into your the login page of your website? Yeah, tons of stuff. I used to, anybody who tried to hack into my WordPress site, which used to happen all the time, I would go in, I set up a system to automatically redirect all of those IP addresses to the Rickroll video on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Another really important thing that people often overlook is they, they don't create difficult security questions. So it's one thing to have a password, but what happens when somebody clicks forgot password and they, and they, they have your email address and they put that in, they might go to your security questions. And never answer those literally. Ever. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, if it, it's usually those questions are like, where did, where were you born? What is your, you know, your mother's maiden name? Shit like that. Shit that anybody could find so easily by doing some Facebook or Twitter sleuthing. And all they have to do now is answer some social questions about you that are somewhere online on your social profiles or your mom's social profiles. And now they don't have to have your password. They can just use that to reset your password. And, and well, people are even people are even dumber than that. You'll if you I don't know if you've ever seen these, particularly on Facebook, you'll see these little quizzes. Be like, all right, number number one, your favorite color. Number two, the first car you drove. Number three, the <laughs> high school you went to. And it's like and it's like, tell us about you. And and then it gives you a letter, or a number, or something. Oh yeah, well I'm like I'm red blue forty seven. That. That shit, that shit is put up by hackers, man. That's put there to get you to reveal information they can use to bypass those security questions. So don't be a yep. dumbass. Yep. So be smart yeah. with your passwords, your security questions, use two-factor authentication. If you have a website, make sure that you're using security plugins. Uh, go to Google and type in Sam McRoberts WordPress security and find his article and read that. Yeah. Yeah. These are some simple basic steps you can do to protect your business from these sorts of threats. Yeah, I would also say if you're a bigger company, I mean, 50 to 100 plus people, make sure you have a CTO, chief technology officer at the very least, or if you're big enough and can afford it, a CSO, a chief security officer, like somebody whose job it is to think through this stuff and preemptively plug holes. But, but I'm going to finish this off with a thought. And that's this. Every hacker learns this lesson. Nothing is 100% secure. Nothing is unhackable. It's just, it's not possible. There is no system that is unhackable in some way, shape, or form. It's a matter of difficulty. And your goal, generally, you know, much like running from a lion or a bear, you don't have to be the fast, you don't have to be faster than the lion or the bear. You have to be faster than the other person running behind you. It's like that in this world. You just need to make sure that your attack vectors are secure enough that you're not worth the effort. Too hard, too too hard, too expensive, too dangerous, too much risk to go after you and to hit these points, like that's your goal. And what level that's going to be is going to depend on your individual business and your security risks and your competitive space and your location and a whole bunch of other factors. But just the whole point of this is to get you primed to think this way, explore this line of thinking, look at your weak points, try and put things in place to prevent this. 
keep yourself safe. Yeah. I mean, this is really the the T in SWOT analysis and every, every business owner, every entrepreneur needs to conduct a SWOT analysis. And that's really what this is about. This is how to think about the T in SWOT. So hopefully these, uh, these ideas and these threats suck. Yes. Hopefully these ideas and examples help you figure out what some of your threats could be. Maybe you hadn't thought of some of these before and, and what steps you can take to mitigate some of these. Awesome. So as always, thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you on Twitter. Me and Jason are both there, or you can shoot us an email at the entrepreneurcast at, g- at gmail.com. <laughs> so um, of course we, uh, we do appreciate your reviews. Uh, if you could take a minute, leave us a five-star review, leave us a written review that helps us be found by other entrepreneurs like you. And that uh, makes us happy. So thanks guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs>